This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we are talking Priscilla. We'll find out if Elvis loved her tender or if he was too cruel or a hound dog. Are now recording and this is out now with aaron and abe i am aaron and as always this is abe hello how are you aaron you, you know i i think i'm gonna have to call it it's november what? no sorry november uh-huh. and um it's still like 80 degrees around me but Oof. i think it's finally the end of summer okay well we, uh, we it only took us 11 or five months uh, I'll, I'll tell you why I uh, Ain't nothing but a heartache. I think you know this, but I have a lemon tree in the backyard. Okay. And during the summer, I make my own lemonade because it's great. Yeah, and, uh, it's also a great metaphor for life. It's it's very relaxing to actually make your own lemonade. <laughs> but I'm finally out of lemons, so I had oh. to I had to buy lemonade this week. How dare you? I know. So it's like, well, summer's over. You know now. who's <laughs> mad at you? Arnold Palmer. I... <laughs> Specifically. So that your lemon tree is your is your end of summer indicator well it feels like if i can't get lemons off the tree anymore then yes summer is officially over wow all right there's still limes nobody wants limeade exactly exactly (laughs) no one even wants no one even wants live aid (laughs) sometimes it's all right anyway so i'm doing okay but i just had to announce that's the end of summer officially (laughs) good good to know as we get to the the late the later weeks of autumn (laughs) how are you doing I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Uh, there has been slightly no change in the weather. Uh, it's still around 70 degrees up here in the bay, and um, overnight it does get a little bit cooler. Got some, got some low. Uh, Why is low there pressure? more to this meteorology <laughs> report you're giving? I, I was really going into it too. I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Why, why are you wearing a suit and putting it a green screen? <laughs> we don't have the budget for this. Onward. All right. Well, Out Now is a film podcast. You're going to guess that already, where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into film via most of for your review with occasional commentary track or some other film movie topic. This episode 554, 554. Five, wow, I didn't realize they were one away from 555. I know. We got to, I don't know what that is. got to get is. something special. I don't know what we call that next week, yeah. but that is where we are. Uh, but for 554, we're talking Priscilla. Yes. The latest film from director Sofia Coppola. And joining us to do such things, we have critic and editor-at-large from Battleship Retention, driving from Memphis to Vegas to L.A. and back again because he forgot his house keys. It's Scott Nye. Hello. I'm filled with questions about your lemon tree, but I, we don't. You know, <laughs> we only have so much time to talk Priscilla, so we'll have to move on. When we get the feedback. We could really get into the lemon. There the we lemon go. <laughs> okay. But, yeah, uh, makes sense. But Scott, how are you doing? Uh, pretty well. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, weather's very stable here in LA. I we do not feel like it is fall at all, but we don't have, you know, the lemon tree to view the passage <laughs> the of time official. through. Exactly. So other than that, just uh, enjoying the long unending summer that is living in LA. All right. Well good to have you yeah. back here. It's been a it's been a couple years, which is insane. it has. Not for lack of Aaron's trying, we should say. Aaron <laughs> uh, has messaged me, I'm gonna say at least half a dozen times in the intervening years. And each time I've managed to be busy. Fortunately, I'm very free these days. Well, I mean, it is good to have you here. And yes, yeah. I, I'm certainly like to be persistent. No, I appreciate <laughs> in my, it. <laughs> in my pursuit of getting people I genuinely enjoy talking to about movies onto this podcast. So right. yeah, glad to, glad to have you join Abe and I to discuss uh, a new Sofia Coppola film of all things, which should be fun to do. Um, but let's get to some show notes real quick. First up, 
Abe, I don't know if you know this, but we recorded a shit ton of material last month. I know. It's actually pretty incredible how many free episodes we recorded for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we put out a ton of horror-themed bonus content, which was super fun. Uh, it was a very ambitious schedule that we went for, but you know what? Certainly we nailed was. it. Yeah, know. Know. yeah, we always nail it. So um, Target's want, done. So if you want to enjoy a variety of uh, horror-themed episodes focused in different uh, different countries, we have four episodes like that. Uh, we have a really cool Bride of Frankenstein-themed episode where we talk all about that film. And we also have our latest commentary track for William Friedkin's The Exorcist. <laughs> I mean... Why? Uh, there's so much stuff. <laughs> I'd use that voice. I don't know. I just fell it. I just fell down. I guess that's it's a like, wacky voice. Yeah, because <laughs> we're we're out of Fogtober slash spooky season now, mm-hmm. so we can get back to the you know that wacky nature of Noir Vember. The way I like that we're naming every month now. <laughs> the way so. the way the way Richard Sidmark would have liked it. What a nobody knows who that is. My, Mike Hammer would approve of my uh, my nods to the wacky voices of the Noir member theme. Um, but yeah, so all of that stuff and more is available now. Right. Uh, and you can certainly find it over on iTunes or Spotify, where you can also give us a rating and review, which would be Thanks great. so much in advance. Yeah, pop us up in the old iTunes charts. Yeah, or just enjoy our content too. Yeah, that you know, also enjoy it, but you know, <laughs> help help other people also enjoy it is what I think. This I'm is saying. true. This is true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's move on from all that and let's get over to actually. What, what am I? Gonna, I was going to say something else. Um, oh, we have <laughs> Abe. We did all these bonus episodes last month. It's not like we're stopping. It nope. is award season. There are so many movies coming out, and we were not going to have time to have full episodes for every. I think we've already had like two discussions about this but over text and also over phone call we're just like there's just so much happening we've got to do a done yeah so be prepared for I mean later this week you'll get a, a bonus episode on the killer uh, <laughs> that's right and um, next week we'll have like a holdovers episode at some point we're gonna have a lot of stuff so yeah. uh, be prepared uh, like Scar used to say exactly uh, before he died in that fire um he was not prepared he was no. exactly he was he had all the all the plans with that one all the plans but yeah oh yeah in case in case simba returns you know what he had the most of green smoke in colors he like he had the he had the flare i mean that's jeremy irons in a nutshell of right course he had the, yeah he had the flare <laughs> did you like see it, his main flip <laughs> if scar was older now he'd definitely be wearing like a cravat when he was walking, when he'd be walking around pride <laughs> rock I feel like him and like Christopher. Too bad Walken, he got like, eaten have, by the they hyenas. Have, they have fashion battles over the, who has the best cravat. That feels like yeah, a big thing. Well, you know, I think Mufasa is more of like an ass guy guy, but who can tell? I'm thinking way too much about like how to respond. It's like, what would he be wearing if he lived to do his old <laughs> age? Moving on. What, what would this African lion wear as clothing? <laughs> the ass guy. I mean, I think that uh, King Jaffa wore an ascot too. <laughs> King so. Jaffa. Well, yeah, he. Well, King Jaffa's got style for days. 100%. All right. Let's actually move on now. Let's get yeah, to some out now quickies. Trademark. <laughs> Tweak it out now. We have one movie the way there. Talk about their elite. <laughs> Trademark. I saw you. I moved fast. I sped up did, as I yeah. went. That's always that's always a fun a fun strategy to use. Uh, Scott, what have you watched recently? Um, well, it's funny you mentioned the killer. I watched that uh what two nights ago. Um, absolutely loved it. I'm curious to hear what you guys think either now or on your future pod, but um. I think it's a real, I mean, it's calling a return to form for Fincher after the relative disappointment of Mank is maybe too slight to praise. Most things would be, but it's definitely like back in a wheelhouse. He hasn't worked in in a while of something being more overtly satiric and um, a really good meditation on, I don't know, just the 
inhumanity of modern capitalism, I guess, through the eyes of a hitman. Um, so that's a unique spin on that. Um, yeah, really, really loved it. Fastbender is great. Um, and, you know, you get people popping up for one scene performances and just killing it, uh, so to speak. Not there's to, a lot of uh, no pun intended. There, there's a lot because I know at Battleship Attention, you guys have the, the Bruce McGill Award for best scene. Under a lot of contenders. Minutes. A lot of contenders <laughs> in that movie alone, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I, I yeah. so I keep a I keep a note on my phone that's like best of 2023. So like I have my like my running list of top tens as well as like some standout performances. And I also have a section on my note for the Bruce McGill Award because I want to keep track of these <laughs> these performances. That's that's one specific thing I have on my phone that I make sure to keep keep notes. You are smarter than I am because I every time the end of the year strikes, I'm like, oh, time to put my words together. Ah shit, who was really in this movie that much or too much or not enough? I, I realized that like, you know, like three years, I was like, I should really keep track of this because I'll forget yeah. for this one of the most important awards, the yeah. BP. Oh, of course. The BP. But Scott, so. it's all in your mind palace. <laughs> that, that's what I tell myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're my not fantastic old. memory. Yeah. <laughs> that is slowly fading. Uh, no, yeah, because Dave and I played this game where we like give each other titles and have to remember where we first saw the movies. And I used to be really oh, good at that. And now I've just become like terrible at it. <laughs> uh, I'm like, when did I first see that movie? Um, so yeah, the the old memory, it ain't what it used to be. Um, but yeah, the killer really loved it. I was really glad I got to see it in a theater too. I, I know most people will have to see it on Netflix, which mm -hmm. is fine. And people have talked about like, there's that fight that's like mostly in the dark and that will like look like crap on streaming. But the sound especially the sound, like, yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. a lot of the score like feels like a heartbeat and like getting it just reverberating through my body was, uh, that was a trip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was solid. I was I was less into Dream Scenario, which I saw this past week and which is coming out uh, this next week. Um, it felt like a very slight premise that was really working to be stretched out over the course of a feature. I mean, of course, Cage is great. Cage is always great. Um, but like I kept getting the feeling that this was more suited to being like a five minute side story that someone mm -hmm. would tell in a Woody Allen movie. that's just like meant to <laughs> illustrate a larger theme as opposed to being the entire feature. Um, so yeah, I, I, I wasn't as into that, fortunately. Okay. Anything else? Um, I'll, I'll give a quick plug for all the strangers, but I saw it at AFI Fest, um, last hey, week, okay. and, which is coming out in December sometime. So that's a ways off, but, um, definitely been on the lookout for that. It's a really, really moving story and that's, great that's performances. With, that's with Mescal and who's the other... Uh, Andrew, Andrew Scott's Scott? the main guy. Andrew yeah. Scott. There we go. Okay. Yeah. yeah uh, Andrew Haig is the director who made like Weekend in 45 years. Ah, um, okay. And it's a totally new kind of train for him. It's like verging on horror kind of ghost story. Um, mm. And it's really kind of sp lightly spooky and very, very moving. I loved it. That I did not know. So now I'm even more yeah. intrigued. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Abe, what have you seen recently? Just a couple things I want to shout out. Uh, these are all horror themed because I was finishing up my October watch of trying to watch a horror movie almost every night. Uh, the classic that I watch every Halloween is Halloween 1978. Uh, nothing to nothing to else to add to this uh, to this classic. But the other one I watched was The Boogeyman, which came out uh, June. Early, yeah, earlier this year. And I, I hadn't seen it till now. I think it's playing on Hulu. Halloween. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, do and... they still do that? The Halloween? I think that they do. They had, a, they had a special tab that was Halloween. Yeah. Okay. It, it makes sense for them to do that. You know, yeah. HBO Max kind of doesn't have anything. I think they're just like HBO Max a ween. Um, <laughs> but uh, the Boogeyman was fine. Like, I think I was expecting a little bit more because I, I think that I remember Aaron and I were talking about the trailer and I was like, well, you know, Stephen King, his shorts always seem to be better. And I think it's getting better reviews. 
Uh, I think Aaron, I think you you were fine with it too. I liked it. So I did, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I was over the moon, but I was like, it is effective. Right. Yeah. I, I think that there's like an interesting story to tell there, but um, yeah, that moonball thing is great. It's just that it it does get used pretty quickly. Um, but I think that there was also just the the third act where I was like, oh, we're we're doing like another. What was the movie where um, smile? Where it's like, oh, we're doing like another. Uh, house like in the middle of nowhere and and i guess that you're gonna fight it all to death in one place but i don't know how this really works uh pretty cool creature design especially when when uh it opens its uh oh actually that was that was smile pretty pretty interesting creature design but i also uh i'm curious what it all really will do for stephen king shorts in the future i i don't know because uh it didn't really move the needle for me as much so boogeyman yeah, I, I, I'm largely with you. I thought I thought it was I thought it was effective enough, but like it's not one where like I that's you know on the annual rotation or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it had you know, one of you know top three Chris Chris Messina in a beard, like just being like I'm just a sad dad. I got yes. two daughters. Like I <laughs> enjoyed that. Yes. <laughs> I wear this sweaters now. Yeah. I used to wear shirts. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he used to be he used to be smooth talking with Rashida Jones, and now he's just like oh, I'm a dad. So. It's got a friend of the show, David Dalsmalchian. So you know that's right. Yeah, yeah. In in the pretty very... effective. It is. I mean, it's, it's a Dalsmalchian role. Right? Yeah. So. That, that's a that's a Bruce McGill contender right there. I think he's only Dalsmalchian. Yeah, he's he's really yeah. good in the, in the small time he's in that film. Yeah, especially when he shows up in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've seen a number of things that I want to okay. make because we like didn't have like a real episode last week, so I got like a little backlog here. Uh, oh so no, I'll, I'll go through these as quick as I okay. can. Okay. Uh, uh, first up, TV wise, Invincible is back. Yes, um, Invincible is one of my favorite comics of all time. So the the, the fact that the show is as good as it is, uh, which helps because you have all the people that were involved in making the comic are involved in the show, along with like a ridiculous amount of various um, uh, actors and doing the voice cast. Um, I really like the show a lot. It's super violent, but it's also uh, super entertaining and very funny at times as well. Um, just a really solid take on the superhero genre. Um, that's on Amazon again, and it's back, and I'm very happy about that. Um, I watched Quiz Lady. Huh. This is a comedy on Halloween um, with, with um, Aquafina and Sandra Oh. Oh, that one. Okay. Yeah, as two sisters. One of them is like, she's like a master at this Jeopardy type show called, well, they refer to it as the quiz. I think it's like a longer name. Mm-hmm. Will Ferrell plays like an Alex Trebek like character. Who would have thought that would work out? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this movie, it's a very broad comedy um, in a way where I think it's effective enough, but not great. Okay. And I, there, there's a longer discussion I think to be had about broad comedies and why some work for you and some don't. Where I'd love to, ha- I'd love to have that discussion as like a separate, yeah, yeah, because like I, I recognize the things that are going on here, and I see like this is not normal human behavior, but like <laughs> that doesn't bother me in certain movies, but like this one was like, I like there's stuff I like, but there's stuff I didn't, and I, I have to, I wonder, I always wonder like why is this not working for me as well as hmm. it could. That said, I do think it's fine. I do think. Oh, and Aquafina have like solid chemistry together. I think Will Ferrell's very fun in like a restrained role as a again Alex Trebek like character. Um, but he's very good in this. Uh, but no, it's it's on Hulu. So it's not you know not a tough watch. Um, as far as comedies go. Okay, uh, I watched the documentary Sly uh, about oh yeah alone. Netflix um, right yeah Netflix compared to the Arnold doc which is like three parts all an hour. This is like an hour and a half. Um. And I match those together because they're covering similar territory as far as going over their youth and what led them into movies and the movie business or what have you. 
I think Sly is the better effort as oh, far really? as we're okay. concerned. Um, yeah, and I think part of that's because I think Sylvester Stallone is more self-aware at this point. Like it's it's hard to describe it, but I do think like the way he's bringing emotion into how he's explaining himself and his life, I I found more to get out of that. It's still like a you know like a three star doc. Like it's nothing like amazing, but in terms sure. of like if we're gonna give a self examination of who Sylvester Stallone is, I liked what he was able to do as far as addressing certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, let's see. I watched two terrible movies. Um, one is Pain Hustlers with um Chris Evans, Chris Evans and Emily Blunt from uh-huh. director David Yates, who's like, I'm taking a break from Hogwarts so I can make this terrible um comedy drama. Also on Netflix, right? Story. It's on Netflix. Yep. Um, it's bad. Um, it's like the worst <laughs> version of the rise and fall arc of look at us we're doing this crazy thing and it's getting us yeah. a lot of money and then also we're actually criminals and we're terrible for it it's mm. a it's like the it's the it's a very bad version of that kind of movie okay um it, at a time where i've seen like enough of the various takes on the opioid crisis and like right. how to handle that kind of material. including two documentaries and like one that was based off a documentary right? yeah there's that there's like the shows that are involved like there's another one with like Matthew Broderick that's on Netflix right now that's also yeah. about like it's a com- more comedic version of the Sackler stuff and it's like I I I'm tired of it because yeah. a lot of it's just not handled very well but mm-hmm. this movie in particular is like God, this is like the dregs of what this could offer yeah you'd tell people to go watch all the beauty and the bloodshed instead I mean yes <laughs> easily, <laughs> easily, yes easily I would tell them to watch a, a an award deserving <laughs> documentary about this topic yeah <laughs> Um, I also watched She Came to Me. Scott, have you seen She Came to Me? Um, yes, I did actually. Uh, I'd be curious to hear what you think because I really liked it, but I can see why someone oh. would not. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it was with Peter Dinklage and Anne Hathaway. Oh, this and movie, Marissa Tomei. And... Marissa Tomei plays a, a tugboat captain. Yeah, she, she, hey. she makes sure to tell you that like forty times in the movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, I I was not jiving with this one at all, and it partially is because it's not that I feel like the advertising is a way to sell. It's like it's certainly like the way it's presented in every form is not the movie that it actually is, which is like, well, you really threw me through a loop here. Uh, but I can see why because it's hard to advertise the thing that it's actually about. All that said, I it's just a it's a really weird film as far as the different directions it takes with these characters it involves like like peter dinklage plays a um he's an he's a an, uh, an opera he writes opera he can be like he composes, composes. opera yeah mm-hmm. he composes opera and he has like writer's block and he meets marissa tobey's tugboat captain who inspires him to do something <laughs> but there's like there's other things that like anne hathaway is like his she's his psychiatrist but they're also seeing each other and he's like the sir he's like a surrogate father to her child uh, Seems complicated. They're, they're like married at this point. There, Are there's they a back, yeah, there's okay. a backstory where she was his psychiatrist and then he married her. I think someone yeah. like summarizes that in one of the expository lines. Okay. And like there's a lot of like interrelationships going on, including like a, a um 
a, a housekeeper who has a daughter who's dating the the son of Anne Hathaway. There's a lot of stuff here, hmm. and for me, none of it came none of it came together in a way that was very satisfying. Like you would say that she came to me, did not come to you. Exactly. <laughs> there's instances where I think things are really working. Like you know, you when you have Marissa Tomei and Peter Dinklage, like they're good actors. Like yeah. I, and, and Hathaway for that matter too. Like it's they're mm-hmm. like the the actors involved here are good. So it's like yeah, I'm not not getting something out of this, but the film just feel it just felt so messy to me and not in a mm. way where i could admire the mess which i'm sure scott that's probably how you're, you're more oh, yeah. like yeah so like i'm just like uh, this is not doing it for me in any way that's all that satisfying mm-hmm. uh, the the quick thing i'll say you know lest we go down a long rabbit trail sure. of uh defending the movie but the one thing i will say for it is they do compose like full-on operas out of like scratch for it which is not something you usually get in the course oh. of a regular motion picture that's something i did admire i was like yeah well the, the effort to do this for what i assume is a fairly low budget movie that's impressive. right <laughs> like that's, that's hmm. you don't get that all the time but no. yeah for the most part she came to me did not come to me very well no um i watched what happens later this is the Meg Ryan directed oh. rom-com uh-huh. starring her and David Duchovny, uh, which is designed somewhat to be hearkening back to her Nora Ephron days. Yes. Um, this movie's fine. I, I enjoyed it well enough. I think that's largely because of Duchovny and Ryan working together. The gimmick is that they're stuck. They're like exes who are stuck in an airport together. And so they have to spend all this time together. Oh, okay. Um, and you can tell like, it's a very, you know, it's a small budget movie in that, you know, the limited location makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I would say it gives you, I think it gives you enough depth between both characters where it makes it very watchable. I like, I don't think there's a ton going on to like make it really revolutionize how rom-coms work or anything like that. Not that mm-hmm. I expected necessarily to, but like, as far as like competent character work, I think there's enough there that makes it, you know, enjoyable yeah. enough. How uh, are David Duchovny's hands? Her- <laughs> Are they well, still pristine? Well, it's weird. He shot completely upper torso through most of the movie. But How every, dare they? But every time it's like it's like it's stuck on you. <laughs> the, the, the conjoined <laughs> twin movie where like they where they where they're shooting that 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 show with Cher, that stars Cher and Greg Kinnear, yeah. where they have to like map out Matt Damon's body by just hiding the camera. So every now and then in what in what happens later, you just see a little bit of a glass jar pop into screen. Okay. Where I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. I went a long way. I went a long way to compliment your joke. Thank you. (laughs) By referencing. Thank you for the uh, yes and. (laughs) Uh, I saw the Marsh King's daughter. This is with Daisy Ridley and Ben Mendelsohn. It's like, what if Room and Leave No Trace, but it was like a thriller, uh, where Hmm. young Daisy Ridley, who's played by Brooklyn Prince from um, the Florida Project, yes, uh, she's raised basically in captivity with her father and mother in the woods, isolated from everything. And she's trained to be like, like, like Thomas and Mackenzie and leave no trace, except it's more dramatic and sad because it's like room also. Um, then she gets like away from that situation and grows up. And then the, and the father goes to jail, but then he escapes jail. Uh, but then we're not sure what ha- what's going on. We're not sure if he's alive somewhere and she's, he's waiting to like get, get after his daughter again or what. And it's interesting. It's a, it's a, it's a decent film. It's a decent thriller. Um, and, you know, I like Ben Mendelsohn a lot. So it's like, well, that goes a long way for me. And mm-hmm. uh, as far as that kind of a movie goes, I, I thought it was a, a solid thriller. Uh, is he using American accent or is Australian accent? He's very, he's very American. Okay. Yeah. But not like um, Dark Knight Rise American, more like country American. 
Okay, so Mississippi, Mississippi, uh, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. as opposed right. to like a very specific new North Atlantic drawl that he has for, yeah, um, for Dark Knight Rises. Uh, what the hell is going on? It's a very specific <laughs> like, thing that he has. I saw his face when you said that. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, two more things, uh, real quick. Uh, the Machine with Burt Kreischer and Mark Hamill. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was on Netflix, loosely uh, based off of a, a maybe true story from Burt Kreischer. Yes, it's like it, it's like a yes, it, it's like a fantasized version of this thing that happened to him when he was young, and he supposedly did something in Russia. Like, what if that came back to haunt him, essentially? And it's a comedy with him and Mark Hamill as his father. I don't know. Like, I, I, I guess if you like Burt Kreischer, this is the movie for you. I did like seeing Mark Hamill in a like a role, like playing a character, because I feel like I, you know. I feel like he gets put into certain things that are, you know, either just Luke riffs or him playing himself to some degree. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, it's nice to see Hamill in a role. That's it. I also watched all of the house of Usher. I finished that and he has oh, a significant okay. role in that show. And I was like, well, he, this is great. I like seeing yeah. Mark Hamill doing this. Uh, but like, yeah, I mean, if you're a Burt Kreischer fan or, and you like seeing him run around shirtless doing stuff like that's fine, I guess, but the movie is whatever. Okay. Um, the last thing, suitable flesh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a it's a Lovecraftian thriller comedy body swap movie <laughs> one of those hmm, very intrigued for this movie so you tell me it's directed by Joe Lynch who's done a number of like like horror stuff and genre things um, and it's made in the style of like a Stuart Gordon film if you're familiar with Stuart Gordon he's a director who's passed away fairly recently he made reanimator from beyond among other things a lot of like a lot of Lovecraftian horror and gory movies that have a dark sense of humor to them. Um, I this movie, Suitable Flesh, which stars Heather Graham and Barbara Crampton of Reanimator fame. Um, it, it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, take on this kind of genre material. Where I, I liked it overall. I do think as it goes along, it gets better because it gets more wild with the premise it presents, which involves a body swapping. But like the tone of it, it has this like neo-noir aspect to it that I did not expect where there's this, this kind of like, almost like a, like, like body heat is some like implemented within the story that involves weird rituals and gory results. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think it's for a movie on shutter, uh, which could be hit or miss. I thought this was quite good. Or it will be on Shutter, I think, eventually. It's okay. in theaters right now. But uh it, it does the job. Shutter's batting hard. average is pretty high though. Shut it is. It's it's yeah. it's quite compared to like certain things. Yes. yes. I think it, <laughs> it tends to work. It, it, you're, you're getting what you want generally out of movies coming out of right. Shutter. Uh there is I won't spoil it, but there is one specific like kill scene that is it feels like a first as far as the utilization of a certain kind of object and i was very thrilled to see whoa this. <laughs> all right all right yeah but it, it y- you'll know it when you see it as far as like what happens but it's okay. it like oh here we go here's something here's i've never seen anybody killed by an airpod <laughs> <laughs> yet airpod pro too um, but yeah suitable flesh i i enjoyed it it's, okay. it's a funky little weird horror noir thriller <laughs> so there you go <laughs> Okay, that's all me. I'm all caught Woo! up now. Next week I'll have less. <laughs> so it's all fine. <laughs> that's how no cookies. Trademark. Let's move on now. Let's get to our trailer talk. We're talking about one of, the new, one of the newest movie trailers of the week, when it's coming out, what we thought of it, what have you. This week we're talking Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes of the of the. And <laughs> um, this is a continuation of the recent 
uh, Apes series. So it is serving as a sequel to War of the Planet of the Apes. It's not just another iteration of this franchise. It's actually following it up. And it's set generations after the events of War for the Planet of the Apes. Um, I can't say too much about the plot beyond. I assume there are apes that are high in power and they are maybe some of them trying to live up to the what Caesar was putting out there versus I imagine evolutions and what makes the most sense. And also humans are still out there somewhere, I guess. Um, the film is directed by Wes Ball, who directed the Maze Runner trilogy, which right. Abe and I, I believe we... We're, we're warmer on. We're war. We're like, we like that first one for out sure. Out of the YA movies, yeah. Out of the YA movies. And I, but I think the main takeaway was Wes Ball is very impressive as a director who can do action and handle visual effects. I think mm-hmm. that was the our, our major takeaway. So he's directing this one now. Uh, it still has the same writers involved, and it's obviously based in the same like universe. So I'm curious, uh, Scott, are you are you big on the the recent Ape series? Are you looking forward to another one of these? Um, so I saw Rise and Dawn. I skipped War because I was very bored by Dawn. Um, and but I, I mean, you know, I'm intrigued by this. It's getting back at least to like the classic Apes stuff of like Apes are in charge. Um, I mean, I say like I have some affection for that, but I've only ever seen the original Planet of the Apes. I didn't see any of its sequels, mm-hmm. but it's kind of a series I've long been intrigued by because it seems like just something that people keep stretching and bending until like eventually it must d- destroy itself somehow. <laughs> it seems like this infinitely malleable uh, concept that people keep stretching in various ways. Um, this the cast on this is pretty slight. I see that like William H. Macy is in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, I, the trailer was intriguing at the very least, which was more than I was expecting it to be. Okay. Abe, how about you? I will say that I am going to root for it, primarily from what you said about the director, but that's also kind of where I have some reservations because certainly Matt Reeves had a, a specific vision for the trilogy that he directed. And so the two seemed... films. He, the, he oh, did, two. He did yeah. the second films, yeah. Um. But it certainly had a, a certain uh, maybe angle that it was going for. And, and uh, again, like a, a feeling of, oh, this is not like the the uh, uh, original series or even I, I kind of don't even include the Tim Burton stuff. But I, I'm, I'm rooting for it because I'm curious to see where it goes. But I do want to see uh, this director kind of do something outside of the YA stuff that we, we just talked about. So cautiously optimistic. I believe David's a big fan of the Scorch Trials, mainly because of the title, if I'm not mistaken. We all know who Scorch is. We all know (laughs) why there would be trials. (laughs) I'm intrigued already. It's just really fun when a character walks up and says, my name's Trials, Scorch Trials. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am a big fan of the Apes series as a whole. Scott, I certainly recommend you watching the sequels because you'll watch the second one and be like, wait, how is there more sequels after this one? That's what I've heard. (laughs) 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 But um, I'm a big fan of this franchise in general. Like the idea of doing more Planet of the Apes stuff always intrigues me. Yes, there's that Burton movie that also exists. Uh, the costumes are nice, or the makeup's nice anyway. But uh, no, I I, I was a big fan of the this recent trilogy of films. Um, And I, I want to be, yes, optimistic about Wes Ball doing mm-hmm. something here. Like, I do think, yes, of the directors we have that have to contend with major set pieces that are visual effects based along with whatever practical stuff they're doing. I, I He he put out a good resume, basically, by making those three Maze Runner movies. So, like, that has me going. And, I mean, it just looks good. Like, just watching look, look at the footage as far as, like, the visual look of right. these apes at this point and, you know, the fact that it's a whole 
kingdom of them. It's like, well, that better look good, and it does. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm happy with, you know, we have months to go before this actually comes out, and the effects already look pretty good compared to other movies I've seen in theaters that do not look good. So <laughs> I mean, it has that going for it. So that's something right there. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I I. I I like the fact that there is a like a blockbuster coming out in the summer that is not reliant on the movie stardom of it. Like obviously, like the the previous ones had you know Andy Serkis, who's not by any means necessarily a giant movie star, but is more of you know a known presence. This one is like dwindling even more. Where yes, Macy's like the biggest name here, and then it's characters, actors that I think are just more rooted in motion capture suit work and what have you. So that's. I'll I'll be curious, you know, what kind of campaign they launch to like sell you on you got to see this apes movie. But for the time being, I'm sold on the apes movie because I like these apes movies. So, <laughs> Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes arrives in theaters uh, May twenty fourth, twenty twenty four Memorial Memorial Day weekend. Be apes or be square, I think is the tagline so far. <laughs> that's that's their tagline. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, let's do it now. Let's move on. Let's get to our main review for Priscilla. Hi. What's your name? Priscilla Boyer. You like Elvis Presley? Of course. Who doesn't? One of the kids listening to these days. Bobby, Darren, Fabian, and you. <laughs> Just what is the intent here, Mr. Presley? You got women throwing themselves at you. Why my daughter? Well, sir, I happen to be very fond of your daughter. She's much more mature than her age. That's 22. That's 22. You don't have to worry about it. Black hair and more eye makeup. I don't know if I like it. What do you mean you don't know if you like it? He's not like you imagine. You know, there's a lot of rumors about you. I need a woman who understands that things like this might happen. Are you gonna be here or not? I want a life of my own. All right, that should have been some of the trailer for Priscilla. Adapted from Priscilla Presley's 1985 memoir, Elvis and Me, this film, written and directed by Sofia Coppola, depicts the life of Priscilla and what she had with Elvis, the king of rock and roll, from their initial meeting while she was a high school freshman living on an army base in West Germany to their eventual marriage and her life in Graceland. During this time, we see things from her perspective, which includes a troubled relationship with the biggest star on the planet, and what it is to have everything and yet still feel alone. Scott. How do you feel about this film, and how do you feel it connects to Coppola's overall filmography? Um, I'll answer the second part first. I mean, the connection is definitely pretty clear. You know, she thrives in telling stories of the bored and rich, um, and I, I don't mean that as reductively as it sounds. I really love her films, and um, this seems like a natural kind of topic for her, both because it allows her to explore the kind of wealth that she's used to exploring, and because it gives her kind of a slight outsider character which um even though she usually is like kind of 
I don't know. Sometimes the criticism is like, she's just so used to this wealth that she can't escape it kind of thing. But she always gives us a character who's just a little bit outside of it, who can't quite access it the same way that everyone around them can. And so Priscilla, you know, coming as the daughter of uh, what's her, her that's someone in the military captain, let's say, I don't know, mm-hmm. whatever yeah, people do in the military. Um, but a pretty like working class kind of level background. They just live in kind of an ordinary military base house, pretty uh, low accommodations. And then moving to Graceland, which is like the ultimate, like new wealth kind of gaudy palace to nothing <laughs> um, gives her kind of an outsider perspective on that. Um, I, I thought the film was quite good overall. I, I think it kind of has a slight problem where it's more interesting in the first half where she's like getting to know Elvis and like there's a lot of tension around how much her family will allow the relationship to happen, her longing to be with him. And then when she gets there um, and starts moving in with him, it, it's a lot of like her feeling of kind of stasis and waiting and uncertainty and boredom um, as Elvis is kind of like keeping her like trapped in amber whenever he wants to come back to Graceland to be with her. Um, I It's something I'd like to watch again for that reason, because I'm not sure if the first half was just like, didn't quite meet with my expectations, but I still think it's quite well done overall. And both of the lead performances are really, really good. Mm-hmm. All right. Abe, how about you? Where are you with... Uh of Coppola, this film and her filmography, and, and what do you think of this movie? Big fan of Coppola in general. Um, I think that she's got a lot of uh, really interesting takes on not just like what Scott was mentioning with uh, people of, of disparate uh, socioeconomic classes, but also a lot of like age gap stuff. Um, mm. And so like, with this, I'm, I'm having like, I'm still going through it and processing. I, I I got out of the theater and I was driving home and I was like, do I love this movie? I'm not sure. Um, and in a very good way, I was like, I think that this movie is very good. Um, and I think that there is a lot of just Priscilla Presley basically saying like, you know, it's, it's actually pretty like lonely and it's also like very unceremonious. Like, I think that there's a really, this is such a fascinating double feature with Baz Luhrmann's Elvis movie. Oh yeah. Uh, just being like, Oh shit. Like Elvis is like fucking living it up. But at home, here's Priscilla Presley just being really bored. Um, and basically living in a, as a young woman, very young woman in a very like adult male situation. And it's, it's, it's very like nothing. She doesn't really, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Coppola doesn't really like, you know, go out of her way to point this out. There's a lot of examples of this, but I I just found it very fascinating from the standpoint of, you know, again, when you think about like celebrity or, you know, um, stardom or what have you, you always think like, oh, well, they must live like really exciting and and incredible lives because they're always jet setting. It's like sometimes not. There's always like two halves, right? So there's always like the, the one half that is on the go, but there's also another half that's just like, sometimes seen as baggage. And I, I, what I also appreciate about this movie is that you do have some more of the Elvis things that people think people may not know about, like a lot of the Memphis mafia, which is seen in Elvis, the Baz Luhrmann one, but not really talked about. And in this one, there's like a group of guys that are just like all, all hang out, but they also all love guns, which is something that Elvis really did like. <laughs> and this is also uh, shown in the Michael Shannon movie where he's just like, Hey, Nixon, do you want to see some of my guns? And do you think I could be a secret agent? Like Elvis is a fucking weird guy. And so I found this movie to be pretty fascinating. And I also found it to be 
you know, I sort of talked about this with the runtime with um, Killers of the Flower Moon as well. Like, this is a fairly long runtime. And I think that it really sets in just how boring the life is and just how, like, again, I think that Elvis himself is just maybe this is just his way to pretend that he's, a, a you know, living this this life of chastity. Um, and it, I, I, there's no moments of intimacy on the on the screen other than maybe some kissing. But it's just a really fascinating read by Priscilla Presley. And I, I love that she executed produce this movie. And that the the Elvis estate is like this movie fucking sucks, um, <laughs> because there's just so much to kind of pick from it, and I love the ending of this movie, like just the use of the song and also just how it's just focused on Priscilla. Like I I, I don't know. Again, I I think I might love this movie. I, I'm not sure yet. I hope to learn that answer soon enough, um, as you deal with it more. Because I do I I know I find that fascinating when you're like stuck on a movie in a way that's enlightening to you where it's mm-hmm. like well how do i where am i going with this like what's what's just gonna feel like in a week or whatnot because it's lingering in your mind and making you consider things um i i too like this movie quite a bit um i will say the second this was announced um i was like well obviously as far as like sophia copeland's just like yeah that makes sense um and i get i additionally i don't yeah i don't mean that as like a a way to play it down is more of like, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting topic for Sophia Coppola to handle. It makes a lot of sense coming from her. And I was more interested in saying like, okay, so what's that going to look like beyond just making assumptions? It's like, no, what is that actually going to look like? And I think a key to this, you guys have already talked about plenty of things. I agree with um, the casting. I think is so spot on here. Uh, Callie Spaney, who has not been in a lot, like he was in like that Pacific Rim sequel. And um oh. She was on uh, that uh, the Mayor of Easttown show on HBO and whatnot. Like, but you know, it's not a huge filmography. Um, the fact that she has to play someone that's like goes from what, like fourteen to late twenties, mm-hmm. um, and it's just you know through like subtle makeup choices or what have you to reflect the aging process. Like, I I found it to be really well done. Uh, really really get a sense of conveying like this person that's you know at a certain time in their life versus where we kind of leave them i think the the work there is on, on both you know on a from a direction standpoint and from an acting standpoint i think it's really spot on and then you have jacob lordy who's given i think it's quite a task to be like play elvis a year after austin butler comes in and plays like this you know signature version of elvis that's you know been up for best actor and everything and the right choice was made to basically play down everything that's Elvis about him. You know, it's, you know, aside from like the Memphis accent, there's not much there that suggests like, this is who Elvis was, at least from like a, the general acceptance of, of, of how we see Elvis, right? Like, you know, you're, you're not hearing the songs because that right. wasn't going to happen in this movie. Yeah. Um, he, he, Lordy himself doesn't look much like Elvis. He's just a tall guy. Um, and I, but I like, there's such a deliberateness to making those choices. And so instead of having someone that's this larger than life character, that you look at and see, yeah, that's the Elvis I know. It's more of, well, who is this man? Who is this, you know, 20 something year old man who found this high school freshman and decided to be in love with her or vice versa. And he just brought her along. And I like how it plays with that. Even just the visual dynamic of them being together where she's five foot one and he's like six, five that like, you don't have to do a lot in the dialogue to explain like what the power dynamic is in this relationship or what it's supposed or what it's supposed to be um, from the thematically speaking in this film. And I think all that plays to a great effect in showing what Priscilla's journey is here, what it is to 
have this like infatuation that turns into something deeper that then becomes questionable because of the way she's being treated. And then you have to go back, double back on it and be like, well, who was this man to begin with as far as him getting on to me specifically and bringing him into her life? Like there's interesting questions like that. I think the film is investigating throughout its runtime. And, and along with that, it's a Coppola movie. So it just looks so interesting. The production design is so specific and there's mm-hmm. a, a lot of great detail, of course, in the costumes and the settings and what have you, but it's shot in such a way where it has this, it's weird to say like soft lighting, but there's like a softness to it. You know, it's sure. not like, especially compared to a Baz Luhrmann movie, which is, you know, the biggest thing possible. This is such a more subdued take on how do you depict, you know, lavish life, but from this perspective, through the from the point of view of a character who is, or from, from a character, from, from a person who sees things so much differently than I imagine Elvis and his crew of gun toting cronies right. <laughs> like uh, how they see things so like all of that i think really added to what a what a solid you know experience it was to watch this movie and just see once again coppola tackling themes that are familiar to her filmography but you know evolving in certain ways as well so no i, I was a big fan of this movie yeah yeah i'm glad you uh mentioned alert's performance even though he's not like giving the kind of Elvis energy we expect. I don't know if you guys have watched a lot of like Elvis movies, but I've seen, I don't know, six or so. And I've seen a couple. Yeah. Yeah. He, he has a strange screen presence because like sometimes in something like Viva Las Vegas, he'll be like pure confidence and bravado. But then like I recently watched Wild in the Country and he is kind of like a little reserved and a little even shy there. Mm-hmm. And I think Alerty taps into something that comes across with him on screen in those roles where he's just a little bit like, uneasy with the degree of fame he got so quickly and i think he really capitalizes on the kind of um lack of self-esteem that can come through that of like you just kind of build up this life around yourself at such a young age so quickly and you're like well i I deserve this right i must i have to and like so much of where he's coming from in how he treats priscilla i think especially is like well, I should have a woman at home who I treat lovingly and respectfully. Um, yeah. Whether I that was reflective of my behavior in general is that's another matter I, that I right. can't really reconcile. But as long as I'm a gentleman at home, then I'm still a gentleman. I found that to be fascinating, too, because one of the things I thought about was this is certainly it feels like a movie about somebody who is in love, which is the Priscilla character and somebody who kind of like thinks that they know how love works, which is the totally character. And again, this is a, a very like weird age gap thing where it's like, you know, I love how the movie progresses the Priscilla character too, but I, I just found it very fascinating from that standpoint of man, like, yeah, like as a 14 year old person, again, I didn't know that she was 14 when they first met or in ninth grade, 14, 15, that's a crazy age. And I was very uncomfortable just like seeing what was, I didn't know what was going to unfold, but I was like, okay, well, I guess Elvis isn't awful, but um, no, but yeah, I, I just, that, that weird theme of just people moving sort of like on the same planet, but just at different speeds and at different places. And it's it's just, it's kind of sad because, you know, to some degree, the person who is in love will slowly fade out of it, but also come to this realization that like some of their life has just kind of been wasted. And it's kind of unfortunate. I, regarding the age gap, like it's such a, this movie being made now and it's being made by Coppola, who is, she's in her early fifties, I believe at this point. Um, you know, you're at a time right now when there's such discussions about, you know, well, obviously there's the Me Too movement, but there's just a discussion about like the role of women in film and what have you. And you're showing a movie that is about a 14 year old and a 20, a 25, six year old getting Sheesh. together. 
But like, there has to be a context where, and I'm not saying like, this is definitely no problem whatsoever, but like 50s, early 60s, a different time as far yeah. as how people can yeah. get together or whatnot. But this movie's obviously made where an audience, not everyone's going to have that context really feel that way. They're just going to see, here's this yeah. older man who's going after a high school freshman. Um, but it's not like that's, you're not allowed to question that. But like, I feel like that's why I think the movies, it, it's, it's interesting to watch a movie grapple with those kinds of questions where yeah, you yeah. have where you have to exactly what you're saying Abe as far as the emotional perspectives these two characters are at in their lives because they're at such disparate ages like how what is that informing what is that what does that mean you know five years later when you know she's older and he's older and he right. has even more fame and she's more embedded into this life and what I think is effective on uh, you know from an acting standpoint with that uh, going back to Spanish character with, with Priscilla I that can't be an easy thing to consider. That, that that's something that takes a lot of I think focus to make a, a character that's so introspective make that play out. Where Elvis obviously has this kind of control as far as being he's manipulative, but also you know just has the power, and she has to she has to not seem weak. And I think that again, I I think the work there to make that play to make this movie you know still be the priscilla movie and not the movie about elvis and priscilla i think that i, I think credit's due to what uh, what spain is able to offer mm -hmm. yeah i mean she really like presents kind of resilience there that you know a lot of people rightfully and including coppola have compared this to marie antoinette of a similar kind of sure, portrait sure. of yeah. kind of an outsider coming into this lavish environment and learning to survive but you know marie antoinette's position is only ever in danger by dint of her like not getting pregnant there she basically has to like try to navigate that world but here like priscilla has no like claim on it at all she's not even married to elvis for most of the movie yeah and so like her position there is constantly under siege either by her own desire to leave or just the fact that she could get kicked out at any moment um and you constantly see her make decisions and kind of correct her behavior not correct but like change adjust. her behavior yeah. adjust her behavior yeah in order to better please elvis so that he doesn't get mad enough to throw her out yeah. and those kind of quiet calculations are really you know it's a sign of a really mature performer to have the confidence to pull that off and coppola's confidence in her to carry that through yeah and, and other details about just you know, directorial directorial choices and what have you. I I really like that this movie is is actually trying to give like a lot of agency to Priscilla. Um, in that they don't even call her Priscilla Presley. I don't think like ever in this movie. The movie is titled Priscilla, no last name. Um, I think the only last name they kind of really use is her maiden name. Um, which I I thought was a, a really like interesting choice i see uh, what you're saying there yeah and a positive choice from sophia Coppola, or yeah from sophia Coppola, just being like hey man priscilla's her own person and elvis it she might have become famous with the elvis uh relationship but again it just it wasn't what you guys thought it was and it just is i i, I kind of want to shine the light on her and just again how controlling elvis might have been even though he might have been manipulated himself but just how what a what a boring life and and again uh, i think that scott i had the same thought um the word gaudy because <laughs> like she's coming from like this military background and then she goes up to the room where he's just like hey go up to my room over in memphis and it's like this is a fucking terrible room <laughs> like there's a fucking lion like in the corner like this is terrible 
what is this like blue satin suede like you know like color choice like this is so gaudy like well, again, it matches his blue suede shoes i guess yeah but yeah it, it's just one of those things where it's all he's while he does have money he also is somebody that like kind of came into money as well and i think that's also a very fascinating read into this story because coppola again she has like a lot of takes on on a socioeconomic status so um just to talk about Elvis a little bit more, at least sure. the, the role he's in here. I am curious because obviously the Elvis estate, not fond of this movie. Yes. Um, and I even would not be surprised if many Elvis fans are railing against this film or whatnot in some way. They're going to be in for a surprise when they go watch this movie. Of my understanding, or the way I'm taking it as far as how Elvis acts in this movie. Um, this is less about like, you know, he's a good person or bad. It's not trying to be black and white, but it's more mm-hmm. of in the realm of Elvis, a person that certainly has a larger-than-life legacy in regards to you know the kind of person he was and the performer he was and what have you, I do think this movie is, if anything, more of a a compliment to other takes on Elvis as opposed to a takedown of Elvis. Yeah, do you I think that's agree. do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, I for do. sure. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, I honestly didn't find it to be like overly cruel to him that you could take a lot of the same material and completely recast those scenes not like literally in terms of the actors but just in terms of how they're depicted mm-hmm. and he could come across a lot worse than he does mm-hmm. and you could still like keep the facts in line i think what elordi and coppola recognize is that he's just like this young guy who really doesn't know what he's doing yes. and has a lot of negative impulses that a lot of young men do he just has the power to enact them at all times and will constantly be surrounded by people kind of Buffing up. I'm glad you mentioned the kind of the Memphis Mafia side side of it because it's this great little comedic side that Coppola doesn't get to explore that often in her filmography. Uh-huh. That's like it kind of reminded me of Anna Ferris's role in Lost in Translation, where it's just sure. like, yeah, yeah, we can have some fun with this part. Like these guys can be a little silly and a little ridiculous. Yeah. But it also helps underline like that nobody is going to question him and like he can engage in like all the negative shit that a, a lot of us ha- feel in our 20s, yeah. but which, you know, through various societal machinations we at least have the good sense to not constantly act off on you know he has no limits he's going to just be the 20 year old id that he is right and i think coppola recognized that yeah he's just a young mixed up guy who has an unusual amount of power yeah and Aaron, to answer your question same page like it's not a takedown of elvis presley i think it's really just more a portrait of hey this guy is just living multiple lives one without his his partner and a future spouse and then the other just like you know as a tabloid and like what scott's saying young guy it's not if if it was a takedown i think that you'd see much more of a like a frat boy type of atmosphere especially like around the mess of mafia and nobody's like leering uh at uh this 14 15 year old when they when she comes into the um the memphis household you know what i mean like mm-hmm. there's no like hey let's all try to like trying our best to try and hook up with Priscilla Presley. They're actually all really nice people. Like they treat her well, like the whole staff treats her well, at least from this movie. Uh, and it's not as though like these Memphis mafia boys are just like, Hey, let's all like try and get her drunk. And so she'd like does some weird shit. Like I think they're mostly just drinking Coke in this movie, Coca-Cola in this movie. And maybe at one point she drinks a martini, but yeah, I, I don't think that it comes across as like, Hey, Elvis was a terrible person. It's like, no, he's also a very complicated figure, but this movie is not about this this Elvis guy. Like what you said earlier, 
there's actually no real songs of his except for maybe one sliver of it when they're watching the TV special. But beyond that, this is not an Elvis movie. And that's why it's like it, it's not trying to say, hey, um, Priscilla was always right and Elvis was always wrong. It's like, no, there, there's just a lot of like gray here. But it's not I don't think it's intended to be something that says uh, the Elvis that you knew was the worst person in the world. I also think a lot of it is like just the realization that of that Priscilla is having of her teenage fantasy kind of yeah uh, corroding into something more negative but also just something more realistic i love that we get so many scenes in the early part of the film of her just being kind of like a teenage brat like yeah. anytime her parents like are trying to like maybe you shouldn't go out with this 25 year old guy she's just like having a fit about it and that she's just like blowing off school and she has a lot of immaturity especially in those early scenes that helps ground like that this was kind of like a crazy thing for her to pursue it all too. Yeah. But it also has scenes later on where it's like, Hey, don't forget that she's still a teenager. Like yeah. she's doing homework in Elvis's bedroom while they're partying downstairs yeah. and she's got to close the door. Like she still has to do all these like 16, 17 year old things. And and then it progresses with like um, date stamps on the, on the title screens. But yeah, I, I, that's a great point, Scott. Like it's, you know, there's just a lot going on here and I think that it's handled pretty well. I, it's not like I thought I was alone in this thought, but I am happy to hear you guys, you know, speak so well to the point I was hoping to get across there. So thank you for that, because I yeah. do think it's such an interesting it's it's far more interesting to watch, you know, humans in yeah. this movie as opposed to, you know, something more, I don't know, mustache twirly as far as oh, here's this Elvis character. Like, it, yeah. I think it does a great job of, yes, portraying, you know, the side character as the person he is here while we have the focus on the movie that is called Priscilla and what Priscilla is going through. Like, it's it really does handle it with a level of nuance that I think will be unfortunately be missed by those that just want to simply decry the movie because it's merely called Priscilla and and allegedly has this horrible version of Elvis when that's not the case. Yeah, I think the only like slanderous, libelous things in the movie are probably real headlines in newspapers, you know, Yeah, that were so Priscilla in this movie is reading these these headlines about actresses that may or may not be uh, hanging out and sleeping with Elvis. And the things that we already know about as a as a national audience, like Elvis has a pill addiction. And I think the only scene where I can really think of where it's like, well, maybe that's a stretch is like he wakes up in a hotel room and I didn't see it at first sight. But at second shadow, there's like somebody else sleeping in the bed with him. And this is like in his Las Vegas um, residency hotel. Right. So, I, yeah, I, there's nothing here that that I think Sofia Coppola is is. Uh, doing with precision of being like, let me again, let me repaint your picture of this guy that you think was the king of, of rock and roll. Well, the, the drug use is a good thing to latch onto there too, because like those scenes could come across as like him, like pressuring her, but really it's just like, you get the sense that like, this is just the system he knows that works. And it's like, well, you should probably take one of these pills that work for me. Right. Um, it's just like a lot more casual than like any kind of corruptive influence. Mm hmm. That Tom Hanks free. cameo was weird, though. So <laughs> <laughs> Especially the voice. Like, why is he still doing that? Um, I had a question. Did you guys watch that at a screening or at a... Um, a uh, you guys bought your own tickets. I saw it at a local multiplex. Okay. Uh, I went to, I guess, somewhere in between. The, the American Cinematheque at the Arrow does these, like, routine kind of preview screenings for members. Okay. Um, and so I saw it with a packed house there. Okay. Did anybody get up and leave in your screening? Uh, was... No, but there is a Sofia Coppola Q&A after, so that's oh, what everyone's okay, there yeah. for. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. Mine wasn't full enough for that yeah. to be an issue, but also no one. It, it was maybe like tw no, actually it got pretty full. So it was like maybe like fifteen people in there. So, but no, yeah. nobody, nobody got up and left. No. Like my my theater was maybe like forty some odd people. 
only like one couple left, but I could hear a lot of people like shuffling in their seat. And I think this goes back to some, a point that Aaron made earlier. It's like, I don't think this is a movie that maybe you think that it is. This is not an Elvis movie. And this is not a movie about, you know, uh, not an Elvis movie in the sense of the person, but also not a Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie where it's like a beat and like really going for it. Like, so yeah, I, you know, for audiences, like, I, I wish that that couple that left didn't leave because there was only like five minutes left of the movie. Uh, <laughs> but um, I wonder what happened to them. I Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but it, it's just like a really, I find it as a fascinating examination of a person um, that is not super famous, but is like fringe famous. Um, and just again, how, how uh, their life is not all that it is to be, uh, seems to be. I mean, she, Priscilla was a fairly famous, like, of course, yeah. she's like, a, not so much. It's like, and it's funny. Cause I, the, the films that I thought of in addition to this make a lot of sense. It's Jackie and, and Spencer. I, I thought about that. As, I, as far, it, it, yeah. I thought about as, Jackie for sure. And it's, but like, you know, they, they became icons of their own. And Priscilla certainly had a, a, a style she was known for and everything. Yeah. And, 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 you know, she was, she wasn't just Elvis's wife. She had a, you know, a presence, to occupy sure. and and but yeah I, I it is it is neat to see the, the the way the film kind of tackles that as well it's, it's less of a focus on her being a person that's in that sort of spotlight it's not the glitzy right. glammy biopic kind of thing it's it's very much focused on the you know the insular nature of being yeah. in graceland and ostensibly alienated from so many people around you yeah um, uh question for you guys just what is the award tracking for this movie I, I how did it do at festivals and and what is it looking at now Good question. I don't think I really have a strong sense of that. At this point, I'd kind of be surprised if it does make a huge inroads in awards. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I think Coppola always makes something a little bit quieter than people expect. Like her films tend to get big awards buzz. But like, yeah, the same thing happened with Marie Antoinette and with The Beguiled, um, where the prestige of it feels like it should be a big awards player. But then you get into the movie and it's a little stranger than you expect, a little quieter, a little less, you know, I, I think if this movie were more like aggressively negative towards Elvis, it probably mm-hmm. would have more because it sparked more of that conversation. Yeah. It just have more of like kind of an audience baity kind of stuff. I, 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 I will be curious to hear kind of how this ends up playing as it rolls out in wider release, because it's not the most audience friendly movie. I think like, her last film on the rocks, which ironically didn't go out in the theaters because it was released in pandemic, like is a much more audience friendly film. Yeah. And it has like a lot of humor and like even like a chase sequence in it. Yeah. Um, this has like there's no like there's not even like concert scenes that you would expect from an Elvis movie. You know, there's not like any of the kind of excitement aspect mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, I think the 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 if there was like you know the best the best actress clip, it would probably be her like swearing at Elvis about the dress or whatever. Like, yeah, that be, <laughs> it's uh, not her doing karate. But well, oh, I love that part. That part but, was great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it was at you know it was at Venice, it was at New York, it was at a few film festivals. Um, it I think yeah, Spanny won a Venice Film Festival award for best actress. That's right. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, it was up for a Golden Lion. Um, but no, yeah, it wasn't. You know, it's not it wasn't like a big player like Tiff or Telluride or anything like that. So okay. I mean, that that doesn't necessarily count it out of anything. It'll certainly be screen. It's a two four film. They'll put it up there in their, you know, in their promotion for things for various awards and whatnot. But I, I yeah, I won't be too surprised if it doesn't go away with a t- a ton of recognition. Right. At, you know, at the very end of the day, they're beyond just you know, it's it's well, it's it you know, it's like an eighty six on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Like it's it's liked. Oh, okay. It's a liked movie. Yeah. Like it's it's doing well with critics or what have you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I yeah I I agree with Scott. Like the, 
it's it's more it's too subtle to seemingly make a bigger dent at the mm-hmm. at the but when all said and done um what was I gonna say oh to back I wanted to backtrack a bit uh, to the mm-hmm. music um to music and then one one specific sequence but like obviously you know her husband's Tom Sophia Coppola's husband's Thomas Mars of Phoenix so Phoenix does this, the the music here and Sons of Raphael also like adds to the songs I just wanted to note because it's when you don't have the rights to Elvis music um that makes for an interesting like how do you get around that but I do think Coppola who has a knack for choosing music for her films mm-hmm. I like that it's this kind of mix of somewhat contemporary style music but it feels like it also fits the period as well like i, I thought there was a, a good balance there i thought i thought i was enjoying the, the kind of the it fit the atmosphere of the film mm-hmm. yeah, yeah for agree. sure i mean opening with uh, the ramones baby i love you cover <laughs> ace choice yeah and there's even the part where he's like burning all his like yogi books and i was like oh they use this commercial uh, they use this song for an under commercial for stephen curry and uh, i just <laughs> thought about that commercial so yeah, it, it it's a it's a good uh soundtrack. Um and again I, I dig uh the ending track that they used. Oh yeah. I also there's a bit where so this movie cost twenty million dollars. I think the budget might have been higher before the Elvis estate was like, you know what? No, thank you. Um <laughs> so I think they I think she lost some of the potential for budget for more. Uh-huh. But but the the scene that I, I really liked that were both reflected the budget on display, but also just like how talented Coppola could be is there's, there's like only one Elvis performance in this movie. Yeah. And you see him and he's backlit and you see like just a sliver of the crowd in front of him yeah. at a event, a venue where, a pres- good shot. where presumably it's like full. There's probably yeah. like thousands of people there. Yeah. I thought that it, like not, you know, beyond just being conservative with your budget or what have you. I thought that was just a great way to present Elvis, like in the same that we're seeing Priscilla so alone. We're seeing Elvis such an in such like an isolated position. Yeah, uh, I like there's just stuff like that. I think throughout the movie, but that's like one word yeah. that really stuck out to me as far as how how creative you can get being a filmmaker with you know only so many means, uh, yet still like deliver something that's effectively thematically related. So. Well, and I also thought. Um... And I wonder how different this movie might have been if Boz Lerman's movie didn't come out last year. Like, there's a lot that you can rely on just the iconography of and quick references to that we all know because uh-huh. so many people saw that movie last year. Yeah. Um. You know, I think certainly like the 68 comeback special that they like don't really go into the nuances right. of that. They uh-huh. be like, oh, we all get that. And yeah. like, yeah, those shots of the stage that you mentioned, like, well, we know what the big version of that looks like. So we can kind of map our minds onto that. Right. Um, I Yeah. I don't know that she would have made it all that differently because this is just very much in her style. But I sure. think she does benefit from a lot of those associations. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's a great point you brought there. I think one of the examples I'd bring up with the mundanity, too, was also a good craft for, you know, let's make this um, as cheap as possible, but also make it as effective as possible. I really liked how, again, Elvis is in residency his apart his his hotel room is just like it's just constant like giant floodlights in the behind the curtains i was like that is so annoying like how to to be a star and then just like live your life on the strip and how uh bright and and unfocused it can be in the rooms like again pretty creative way of just showing you how uh celebrity and stardom just might not be all that it is uh cracked up to be so yeah good good point on your mundane um aspects as well aaron uh, anything else, uh, Priscilla? We talked a lot about. Yeah, I think we got to everything movie. I Go wanted to mention. Go see it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and don't be surprised by Elvis loving guns. I think some people were like, "Oh my gosh!" And I was like, "This really? guy loves guns." <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
he had like at least like four of them on on a person at one time. <laughs> That's I did, what the I, Baz movie didn't get right. I, I do like I do like how you refer to it as that uh, Michael Shannon movie because there was no other star in that film. Right? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> we don't recognize the other people. There was just some guy named like Nixon. That's some all. guy who who put on some Nixon makeup. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. So when should people go and see this movie? It sounds like pretty soon. But Scott, when when should people see this movie? I think it's definitely one for theaters. I mean, you know, you don't get the Elvis songs, but like the music in the film is really great, and hearing it on big loudspeakers is always a pleasure. And I think like just the way she's playing with I the biggest reason I want to see it again is that I was kind of like seated pretty far back in the auditorium and I feel like I missed some nuances and kind of the shadow detail. Sure. And there's a lot that's just the lighting is so exquisite that getting it on the big screen is so key. Yeah. OK. Abe? Yeah, I'd recommend a, a theater just to let you soak in the minutes of this movie um, without distraction. So, yeah, check it out in the theater. I agree. That's a good point to make too, because it is. It's a. It's not like it's, it's under two hours, but it's still right. deliberately paced. And I do yes. think yes, having the kind of the the theatrical setting gives you the the space to really reel into that atmosphere and, and appreciate what's being presented on screen, as opposed to you know waiting to see it at home where you might be distracted. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, it's also you know a really good movie. So yeah. Okay, we're done. We talked about Priscilla. We did it. Let's um let's move on. Let's uh hey what uh, what time is it over here? It's time for a quick game. <laughs> Little known fact, Aaron actually texted that jingle over to Sophie Coppola and she was like, "Oh, I got it too late." <laughs> uh, I'm I, game. I I hear that way too much from people. Yeah, yeah. I got it way too late. It's like, I oh, I, if you had texted me earlier, I would have let you be the composer on my <laughs> <laughs> With your with your iPads out of the phone. <laughs> uh, I'm getting in for you guys this week. It's called Box Office Showdown, a.k.a. Coppola versus Coppola versus Coppola versus Coppola versus Shire versus Cage versus Schwartzman edition. Jesus Christ. All right. <laughs> this is a game where, uh, beyond your buzzers, the first person who buzzes in, uh, where I will name three movies, and if you could tell me which one made the most in its box office domestic run without adjusting for inflation... Uh, you will get the point. Um, buzzing with your name. Yeah, buzzing with your name. Okay. Uh, and these are all films either starring a Coppola, directed by a Coppola, a Schwartzman. What else? I'll tell you, yeah, or Shire, <laughs> starring a Shire. I will tell you sort of what uh, uh, role they played uh, technically or or on set. Uh, Marie Antoinette, Sophia Coppola directed. The French Dispatch, Jason Schwartzman star in. Bangkok Dangerous, Nicolas Cage. Which movie made more money? Scott. Scott. Uh, I'll go Marie Antoinette. That is correct. <laughs> 15.96 million. Oh, was... I'm sorry. That is incorrect. What? Aaron. Aaron. <laughs> is it Asteroid City, actually? Well, that's not one that I named here. <laughs> What'd you name? Oh, you named French Dispatch. Marie Antoinette, the French Dispatch, and Bangkok Oh, that is, Dangerous. Bang- that is Bangkok Dangerous, for sure. That is also incorrect. Wow. Wait, what? That much money? The French Dispatch, 16.1 million. Oh, barely. Okay. Marie Antoinette, 15.9 million. Bangkok Dangerous, 13.2 million. Gotcha there. Okay. All right. Next one here. Rocky 2, Talia Shire. (laughs) The Godfather Part 2, Francis Ford Coppola. Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance, Nicolas Cage. Aaron. If you notice, it's all it's all the seconds. Yeah, got that. Very <laughs> clever. Um, Aaron. Um. Oh God. 
I'm gonna say Rocky Two. That is correct. Okay. <laughs> Rocky Two, that... eighty-five million. Godfather, Godfather Part Two, surprisingly fifty-seven million. I didn't, I didn't think that it wasn't nearly as big of a hit as The Godfather. Right. It still, it still made money, but like Rocky Two, I think was like one of the biggest films of that year, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. So... Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance, fifty, fifty-one million. So, uh, get, get on you there. Next one here. Moonrise Kingdom, Roman Coppola writer. Lost in Translation, Sofia Coppola director. Rocky Five, Talia Shire. Uh, Scott, Scott, I'm gonna go Lost in Translation. Lost in Translation is incorrect. Damn it! Uh, what was the first one? Moonrise Kingdom, Moonrise with Roman or, Coppola writer. Moonrise or Rocky Five. Or Rocky Which Five. Of these two movies made more money. Talia um, Shire. gosh, I'm Aaron. I'm Aaron. going. Ah. Uh, I'm going to say Rocky five. That is incorrect. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Moonrise kingdom, 45.5 million. Oh, I made some money. Okay. Lost in translation, 44.5 million. Rocky five, 40.9 million. Time of the machine gun. Couldn't bring it home. I guess not. Yeah. Next one here. I'll touch me. I'll sue. <laughs> That's right. Bunches of them anyway. Yeah. Uh, next one here. Con air, Nicholas cage actor, American graffiti, Francis Ford Coppola directing. Rocky three, Talia Shire acting. Aaron. Aaron. I'm going to say Rocky three. That is correct. Okay. Rocky three, 125 million. Mr. T bringing in the cash. American Graffiti, a lot of money, 115 million. Hit big hit. Yeah. Con Air, 101 million. I was trying to trick you guys there. Maybe the Con Air thing was going to get you. Uh, next one here. Palo Alto, Gia <laughs> Coppola director. <laughs> Vampire's Kiss, Nicolas Cage acting. On the Road, Roman Coppola producing. That was the Jack Kerouac movie. Oh, boy. Which one made, Which one didn't make negative dollars at the box yeah. office? Hey, <laughs> come on. Scott, I'll go Vampire's Kiss just for how many theaters it must have gotten played in? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is incorrect. God wow. Damn it. <laughs> okay. What's the first one? Palo Alto, Gia Coppola directing. I can't imagine that making money. And on the road, this is with Kristen Stewart. Um, uh, who's the guy from Garrett, Lost City? Garrett, 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 Garrett yeah. Helen. Not Lost City. Um, oh, uh, sorry. That's that's that's, that's Charlie Hunnam. Yes, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a different white guys. looking white guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One's more British than the other. Yeah. Um, Palo Alto, uh, Gia Coppola, or on the Empire's road, Kiss made less than both of these movies. <laughs> that seems impossible. That's not that's not what I'm saying here. Okay. Uh, I mean, it feels like you're saying that since one of these movies made more money. <laughs> I will say on the road. That is incorrect. Palo Alto, $767,000. <laughs> Vampire's Kiss, $725,000. On the road, $720,000. Okay. So Palo Alto, yeah, good job, Gia Coppola. Yeah, that's what she says. Right? <laughs> yeah. Based on that box office total that she Just was definitely going for. <laughs> the next one here. Big Eyes, Jason Schwartzman acting. Bringing Out the Dead, Nicolas Cage acting. The French Dispatch, Roman Coppola, story by credit and executive producer. The French Dispatch is back? Yeah, I mean, I can use multiple. Okay. Big Eyes and what? Bringing Out the Dead. Bringing Out the Dead. And The French Dispatch. Stumped you guys here. Aaron. Aaron. Big Eyes. That is incorrect. Okay, Scott, bringing out the dead. That is correct. 
Finally on the board. Bringing out the dead, 16.6 million. Big Eyes, 14.4 million. French Dispatch, 16.1 million. Oh, that, that Burton Adams Waltz magic does not sell at <laughs> box offices, apparently. <laughs> uh, next one here. Lost in Translation, Sophia Coppola directing. Funny People, Jason Schwartzman, acting and composer. The Good Shepherd, Francis Ford Coppola, executive producer, friend, rapper De Niro, directed. Aaron. Aaron. Funny People. That is incorrect. Hmm. Scott, Lost in Translation. That is also incorrect. God damn it. The Good Shepherd made The money. Good Shepherd, 59.9 million. Funny People, 51.8 million. Lost in Translation, 44.5 million. I forgot Funny People was like a flop. <laughs> it's like one that had like more mixed reactions. I forgot it was like a flop at the box office. I forgot well, that no. Good Shepherd made money. Like, uh, me too. Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, that, I know. Zero I like, people what? I know saw that movie. I saw it, but like, it's the I saw Matt Damon it. I saw it in movie. Like, like, yeah, like I, I saw it like, I think it was like Christmas Day or something like that when it came out. Like, I saw it then. Yeah. Well, we're getting to some heavy hitters now. Saving Mr. Banks, Jason Schwartzman acting. Bram Stoker's Dracula, Francis Ford Coppola. Moonstruck Nicolas Cage acting. Aaron. Aaron. Moonstruck. That is incorrect. Wow. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I already forgot the other two. Saving Mr. Banks, Jason Schwartzman. Bram Stoker's Dracula, Francis, or Moonstruck Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Uh, Scott, I'll go uh, Banks. That is correct. <laughs> Hell yeah. Saving Mr. Banks, 83.9 million. Bram Stoker's Dracula, 82.5 million. Oh, just Moonstruck. Behind. Two Academy Awards, eighty point six million. It was longer ago though. Tickets were cheaper. <laughs> yes, yeah. Life was cheaper. <laughs> this is true. I I could probably afford three houses then. I know. Uh, the next one here, The Godfather, Francis Ford Coppola, Rocky Four, Talia Shire, or The Rock, Nicolas Cage, Aaron Scott, oh, Aaron. Go for it. It's not inflation, but it's still probably Godfather. That is correct. Okay. It, yeah. it was a hit. It was a huge hit. <laughs> what, what am I going to say? 136.4 million. Rocky 4, 127 million. Ro the Rock, 134 million. So, yeah. A couple more here. The Virgin Suicide, Sophia Coppola, directing. Bad Lieutenant Protocol, Nicolas Cage, acting. She's So Lovely, Talia Shire, acting. That was a movie with uh, Sean Penn. Oh, so that's why it's not called He's So Lovely. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, she's So Lovely. What? <laughs> what is uh, it? The Virgin Suicides. Virgin Suicides and... Bad Lieutenant Port of Call. Port of Bad... Oh, New Orleans. She's so yeah, lovely. where is that yeah. Port of Call? Port of Call, Sorry, New yeah, Orleans. Port of Call, New Orleans. In yeah, case there's a sequel. Yes. yes. Uh, and She's So Lovely. <laughs> huh. Sophia, Nicholas, and Talia. Aaron. Aaron. She's so lovely. That is correct. Wow. Okay. <laughs> 7.2 million. Talia Shire is like a waitress in that movie, apparently. Bad Lieutenant Protocol, 1.7 million. And Virgin Suicides, 4.8 million. Last one here. Rocky, original. Talia Shire. Face Off, Nicolas Cage, John Woo. The Godfather Part 3, Francis Ford Coppola. This time we're serious. That was the tagline. No, it yeah. isn't. I made that up. Uh, uh, Scott, <laughs> I'll go Rocky. 
That is correct, Scott. Got to be Rocky. Yeah, yeah got to be Rocky. One hundred seventeen million face off, one hundred twelve million. I'm trying to trick you guys there. Uh, the Godfather Part Three, sixty six million. Not not a huge, you know, number. Uh, Scott, valiant effort. You got three points, but Aaron beat you by just one. Hey. Uh, you got four, and I got four points as well as the moderator. Perfect. So, good job, Aaron. Thank you. And well played, Scott. I had never heard of this movie, She's So Lovely, but it turns out it's part of the very diverse filmography of one Nick Cassavetes. Yes, oh, it's one yeah, of his right, yeah. Okay, there it is. It's Cassavetes' movie. Yeah, I, I should have said, yeah, it was directed by Nick Cassavetes, which, and again, yes. a lot of a lot of uh, relation here. So. A very diverse filmography from Nick Cassavetes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's such a weird filmography. It's so strange. <laughs> yes, it is. It's like not but, only... Are none you, of his movies like his father's movies, especially when you look not at like him. each other, especially when you look at the man who is like, this is the guy that that's made Nick the, no- yeah. the notebook and this movie. And that's like... he does have a very specific look. And, you know, he shows up in face off, too. Yeah. And, yeah. Star of face off. Nick Cassavetes. <laughs> Get shot in the neck. Yeah. And he just holds it like a like a champ. And it's like, just go. <laughs> Kisses his sister. Yeah. Very, right. very lovingly before he dies. Yes, yeah, very. Yeah, it's a Ferris Bueller situation. Must be European. <laughs> well, thanks, Dave. Thank you for that game. That was yeah. Cool. You're welcome. I can't repeat the name. <laughs> uh, what was it like? Box office showdown: Coppola, 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 Coppola. Four Coppolas, one Shire, one Cage, one Shorts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right, there. you got it. That's why. That's why you rewind the podcast. <laughs> that's what the listeners do to get right. this this Play very game's over again. game title. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on now. Let's get to some out now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash out now podcast. We've asked a number of questions to the listeners and they gave us some answers. And uh, Scott, feel free to throw in any answers you might have as we go sure. through these. First question, First here. question here is for yeah. you. <laughs> What's your favorite Sofia Coppola film? Uh, Sofia is spelled incorrectly. Uh, Scott writes, Scott Laster writes, Lost in Translation. Philip Heard writes, A Very Murray Christmas with a laughing face emoji. Um, I mean, I'm at Lost in Translation, but um, she does fit in the category of filmmakers that hasn't made a movie I didn't, I didn't like. So, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. My answer is the same on both. It's uh, long been Lost in Translation. And yeah, look at same. us here, just three in a row. Look at us. Who would have thought? <laughs> Um, all right. Um, next question we have What's your favorite movie marriage? Philip Price, friend of the show, writes that one's easy, easy A, with uh, Patricia Clarkson and Stanley, Stanley Tooch. Stanley Tooch. Uh, Chris Cleveland has Ready or Not. Well, well, the aftermath, anyway. <laughs> and uh, Philip Hurd has Mr. and Mrs. Minerva. Ooh. Miniver, Minerva, Minerva. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different thing. Close enough. Miniver, Mr. and Mrs. Miniver. Yeah, I'll throw in Elastigirl and Mr. Incredible. Oh, man, this is tough. I don't even know where to go on this. Movie marriages. Let's see here. It's a good one. Oh, Clarence and Alabama, True Romance. There you go. Oh, I'll go uh, if, if it's only at the very end. But uh, Joe versus the Volcano. <laughs> yeah, still works. Uh, next question here is, uh, what are some great films about characters dealing with fame? Chris Cleveland has Boogie Nights and Walk the Line. Justin Weatherby writes, Almost Famous? Question mark. Uh, yeah, that, that counts. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Philip Heard writes, The Philadelphia Story. 
How about you guys? Great films dealing with fame. Characters. Mm. Well, walk hard. Uh, come everybody say walk hard. <laughs> yes, know. obviously. He has yeah. to deal with all those drugs uh, that Tim Meadows <laughs> does not offer him. <laughs> Uh, um, Nashville's pretty on point on this. There you Nashville. go. Nashville, yeah. Nashville, yeah. yeah. Uh, Spider-Man 3, he's all getting popular and everybody's upset about it. <laughs> Mary Jane's all mad because he's like being with Bryce House Howard. Uh, what a what a jerk that Peter Parker. He is a dude. Yeah, well, you know, symbiote suits will do that. I know. <laughs> Just fucking doing a, a lame dance on the sidewalk of New York. Um, Isn't, uh, um, what's it? Uh, you know, uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Freddy's dead. You know, he's he's too popular at that point. He's too funny. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of dude, that's a lot of the big I deal. Can see with it. Fame, yeah. Big deal with fame movie. I'll allow it. I'll How do I keep it. killing kids and dreams if I'm all famous now? <laughs> <laughs> that that should be, that, that'd, be a, that'd be a great way to bring back the nightmare pre- premise. Like, he's too famous back, now. People like him too much, and he's too famous, so he, it's hard for him to murder children in their sleep because he's so famous. <laughs> <laughs> Because he doesn't get any sleep himself. In this version, we're rooting for Freddy to overcome yeah. this dilemma that he has of not being able to murder enough children. It's going to cross over with the Save by the Bell episode where, you know, he just starts taking speed pills and it's just, it's got a good wholesome message. Jason's like holding it back but not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> that that episode. question aired? Oh, no, I have one more answer. That episode, oh. of, that episode of The Simpsons where um, I didn't do it becomes really popular. And Bart yes, yeah, yeah. Say the uh, line, Bart. That that that's where he's like, is it Conan in that episode? He's like, only yeah, I is. may dance. And then Conan's like, only, <laughs> only yeah, I, only may, I dance. may dance. Yeah, that's a good that's a good uh, that's a good call. I can't even think of like what that episode is beyond that. Is that that's the a plot? I assume of that episode. I would think so. I, I can't remember the the b plot either. Yeah. <laughs> Probably something to go to Homer. Disney Plus and watch it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In its original aspect ratio. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, what are some great films that took a different or alternate approach to a famous person or subject? Uh, Scott Neulaster writes, I'm not there. That's mm. a great answer. Philip Hurt has uh, Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, and Jackie. Oh, okay. And Brandon, Brandon Peters has The Dead Speak is an alternate approach to a famous person and the 2019 film Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker Eve used an alternate medium altogether, a video game called Fortnite, to approach the return of the very famous Emperor Palpatine with his The Dead Speak method. Brandon Peters very famously is very on all of the uh, Rise of Skywalker things. It's a good answer. But, he, but he's referencing the very specific thing of the fact that Emperor Palpatine Returns was announced in the <laughs> game Fortnite. Yes. <laughs> as if everyone around the world was like, oh yeah, that's why Palpatine's back. He made a speech in this video game at one point. <laughs> if it's that, canon, it's canon. <laughs> because that's what the Jedi wizards at Lucasfilm and Disney were thinking would be the best effective approach. Right. This. Let's drop it on this massively popular game that isn't popular as much anymore. Um, I'm going to say uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. <laughs> Honestly, when I wrote this question, that's the first movie that came to mind. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Look at that. Look at us. Look at us. Um, well, let's see. What are some other ones? Alternate approaches. Uh, um, I'll throw out, I mean, you mentioned I'm not there, but Velvet Goldmine has a similar thing. Oh, yeah. Um, to go a little on the, the artsier side, Gus Vincent's Elephant. Um, ah, okay. Oh, yeah. Different kind of approach on Columbine. Tough and then movie, yeah. Yeah, there's one other that came to mind. What was it? Um, oh, have I lost? oh yeah, Goddard's Hail Mary. Um, great oh, okay. uh, Mary Magdalene movie. Huh. Okay, yeah. 
Um, the the various influx of teen based comedies rooted in Shakespeare, I think, all uh, fit this category. So, put yeah, ten, ten things I hate about you up in there. Oh yeah, that, that yeah, that, I mean that's a good movie though. It is. That's why I yeah. mentioned that one and not cheese all that. Um, hey. the, <laughs> he took off her glasses and she became hot. And and that's a, that's a more scenario. Things like Richard the Third or Coriolanus, uh, just like oh yeah, the, takes that, on the, Shakespeare the, that are like yeah. interestingly done. Um, and what's the oh a twenty four hour party people? Um, okay, maybe I really enjoy that. It has a yeah. its own comedic take on the punk scene in Britain. Oh, I just thought of another one. Uh, I think it's the Jane Silent Bob movie where uh, Gus Van Sant is counting his money. Yeah, James, strike back. Yes. Yeah, like Jesus I love that scene. Yeah. Jesus, Ben, I said I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> He's just counting, counting money. Uh, that extra here, Aaron. Wait, 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 that real, that, that, that's let's see where I'm like, okay. why isn't Gus Van Sant parodying himself more often? That's, that's <laughs> Seriously. Really funny. It's really fun. <laughs> uh, should we save this next one, Aaron, or, or should we just go with it? The next few ones. Are, so like, we I have questions here that are related to the holdovers. Yes. Um, but no, I think we can just throw these okay. questions. Yeah. yeah, the question here is, uh, what's your favorite Paul Giamatti role? The Holdovers release in limited uh, release this past weekend. Scott Neil Lasseter writes, Sideways with American Splendor as a close second. I've heard great things about his performance in The Holdovers. I'd love to see him get an Oscar. Philip Heard writes, he was very likable in Saving Mr. Banks, and American Splendor is just after it. Christopher Hill writes, Cinderella Man, also shoot him up. Who is he in Saving Mr. Banks? I was like, wait, he's in that. And I guess that he's like some some book publisher is like, you, you gotta you gotta make a new movie, Mr. Banks. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, he's the one like because I remember Farrell, I remember Schwartzman and B.J. Novak as the composers. I remember and of, of course Emma and Thompson. Thompson. Yeah. But I I I cannot picture Pel Giamatti in that movie. That was obviously very memorable. He's probably he's, he's probably uh his uh Jiminy Cricket. I don't know. Like His Wikipedia entry is not helpful here. It lists him as Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> I, assume the like, I assume he's like Disney's assistant or something like some like sure, guy that works for Disney. <laughs> Just yeah. like cannot picture him in that movie. <laughs> Any favorite Paul Giamatti roles? Um, all the one that comes to mind is definitely Private Life. It's probably like his best lead for me overall. Um, mm-hmm. but I do love his performance at the end of Cosmopolis. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. Um. I mean, American Splendor is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a movie like I wouldn't even say it's like a great. I just like this movie. It's always stuck with me. But Cold Souls um, with him where he. Oh, I forgot about that movie. It's a really neat like it came in that wave of like after Charlie Kaufman was more popular. Totally. Just like other okay. movies that are like Kaufman-esque where he like I can't even remember like they like take his soul out of him so he can pursue other means or something like that. I can't remember like the exact premise, but I remember him just being specifically very good in it because it was a very self reflective role. Yeah. Um, I thought it was, it was a solid performance that I, I should just revisit that movie since I like yeah. it. So, so talking about it, it seems right now. like you like it so much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just, I, re- I just remember responding effectively to it. Similarly, I do not like lady in the water whatsoever, but he has a fucking monologue at the end of that movie that is so powerful. And it's like, God damn it. Why isn't the rest of this movie? This wow. good? Um, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, I'm going to throw in the Truman Show where he gets yelled at by Ed Harris. He's like, you're going to kill him. And he's like, just do it. Uh, so Paul Giamatti. So those a, were, a so his roles are like actor. guy in the booth roles. Like, um, yeah, Donnie I think Brasco. he's wearing like he's wearing like, you know, uh, a near piece. And he's got to turn up the waves on Truman uh-huh. as he's navigating the waters like you're going to kill him. He has that, like, and, yeah. that and Donnie Brasco in the same year. He's like, what's forget about it mean? And they're just talking about forget <laughs> about it. Like the car for five minutes. Um, Yeah, next question. What are some great films about teacher-student relationships? 
Philip Hurt has Red Beard. That's a fucking great pick. Whoa. Uh, Departures, The Red Shoes. Uh, Justin Weatherby has Stand and Deliver for the Calculus mm-hmm. and Dead Poet Society. Irene Johnson has Soul and Election. And Chris Cleland has, yep, has to be Stand and Deliver and Dead Poet Society. I remember enjoying Dangerous Minds, but I haven't revisited it it since and i hope it's not problematic spoilers it's problematic (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, teacher student related redbeard such a good pick and i desperately want criterion to put that out on a new release (laughs) Uh, i had a funny answer i can't remember right now uh son of godzilla he steps on minya's tail to get him to start figuring out how to use his atomic (laughs) breath it's pretty great um margaret Mar- yeah, Margaret, a famously uh, totally cool relationship. Yeah, very chill. <laughs> very chill. Yeah, it wasn't my funny answer, but the one that's coming to mind is Half Nelson, which might be a problematic relationship to start. Half Nelson's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah, can you just stay away from her, please? All right, that's a good. That's I really like Half Nelson. Yeah, it's a good movie. That's uh, what's like. Who's this Ryan Gosling kid? Although, also Anthony Mackie. Uh, Anthony Mackie, yeah, and uh, Sharika Epps, who did not do much after this movie, but those two did. So. Yeah. Uh, the last question here is name some great holiday dinner scenes from movies. Todd Libano has a Christmas story, the scene with the Chinese restaurant quote, uh, hashtag it's still smiling. He didn't add that. I added that <laughs> uh, editors hashtag Chris Clinton has national lampoons Christmas vacation. Uh, I'm going to guess where the Turkey is just like disgusting. Um, Philip heard has buddy in the dinner table scene in elf drinking the Coke and the spaghetti. And Nick Manchek writes the Whoville dinner in the original Grinch cartoon. How about you guys? Uh, definitely the big meals at the beginning and end of Fanny Alexander. And, you know, I recently watched the family stone and every meal scene in that spot on. Mm. All right. <clears throat> um, holiday dinner scenes. I thought of like some dinner scenes, but they aren't holiday dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, there, let's see. Like all these are mentioned already. So I'll go with something else. There's a movie called the ice harvest. Um, Harold Ramis is, I guess, is it's his, it's not his last movie, but it's one of his later later movies. Uh, with John mm-hmm. Cusack and Billy Buffard, there's a scene where John Cusack goes to his ex wife's house, and the here she's married, she's remarried to Oliver Platt. Uh, and she brings him home like super drunk, and they're having Christmas dinner, and like the kids are there, and they hate their father, John Cusack, at this point. And there's just a bit where the wife, the ex wife, goes, "Merry Christmas, Charlie." And it's looks like such bitter disdain. <laughs> it's like so. It's very perfect for the dark comedy that that movie is. Um, yeah, that's one I'll shout out for. Dinner, uh, I, yeah, the one that I'm going to shout out. Uh, I think it takes place during Halloween, so I'm going to count it as a holiday dinner sure. scene. Um, it is uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, where <laughs> you know she's just there, and I think like that old grandpa just like bites her finger. So yeah, it's very, it's you know, very warm. I mean, it, I don't think it's necessarily Halloween, but it's it feels like a holiday because yeah, hey, exactly because hey, gr- grandpa came to dinner exactly <laughs> yeah you know they're serving up some disgusting meal I'm sure head cheese head, head cheese. cheese oh god head cheese yeah. they love it especially the 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 younger one he loves his head cheese yeah. um well yeah that's not enough feedback 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 I'll have questions for the killers on next week on the killer yes, on yeah, next yeah. week's episode to balance right. this out just so we can get these fun questions in here. Uh, but with all that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. Uh, you can find more of my work, my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I also write for We Live Entertainment for movie reviews and Wise Blue for Blu-ray and Criterion reviews. And I am on Twitter, Aaron's PS4. Abe? 
You can find more friends for my Instagram, abe.mua, and twitter.com slash Moose. Hashtag, do you want to go to an Elvis concert? Because I cheat on my test. <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter and Blue Sky at Rail of Tomorrow. Um, and Letterboxd is my name. And writing reviews at Battleship Pretension. I got some AFI recaps up now. And uh, other stuff kind of floating around there. Great. Great. You can find all the other episodes about now throughout your name on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, and HSWOD. Feel free to email us at podcast at gmail.com. Check out our socials, facebook.com slash podcast or twitterx.com slash underscore podcast. And Instagram, instagram.com slash underscore podcast as well. And again, reviews and ratings on iTunes, Spotify, that'd be great. Um, Scott, thank you very much for joining us this week. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, thanks for having me. For sure. Um, let's see. Next week, we'll be talking the Marvels as our main episode, but stay tuned for uh, bonus episodes covering the killer and the holdovers as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode. So until next time, so long and goodbye. Goodbye.